Who wants to be a novice? Well, you do. At any given time, most of the guys training in gyms around the country are novices. And by most, I mean the vast, overwhelming majority, like 95%. This means you, probably. But it's not necessarily bad news, not at all. It's true because most people who join a gym quit within a month. You know the type, you see them every time you train. Cluttering up the area in front of the dumbbell rack in most commercial gyms. Wandering aimlessly, playing with the weights, watching everybody else train. Wishing that getting big and strong were easy. Most of the ones that don't quit are guys who haven't been training very long and fully intend to keep at it, but who haven't yet settled into a program that works like they envision a program working, producing rapid gains in size and strength. This may be you, but you might quit too if you get tired of seeing no results. Since most guys in the gym are not big and strong, most are, therefore, novices. Now, it's not bad to be a novice. I wish like hell I were a novice again, knowing what I know now. Your novice months, done correctly, will show you the fastest gains in size and strength you'll ever make in the weight room, quite literally faster than advanced guys using steroids. But done the way most people do it, your first weeks in the gym will merely lead you to join the ranks of the guys who quit out of frustration and boredom. First, let's state the universal truth of training as applied to the weight room. You do not get big and strong by lifting weights. You get big and strong by recovering from lifting weights. Everything else is derived from this simple restatement of the principle of stress recovery adaptation. Do not forget it. A novice lifter is a trainee who is so unadapted to the stress of lifting weights that he can make progress as rapidly as he can stress himself and get recovered, a process that actually takes no more than 48 to 72 hours for a novice. When an 18-year-old kid starts training without a background in exercise, anything harder than what he's doing now acts as a stimulus for adaptation. Riding a bicycle will make his bench go up. As he accumulates adaptation, moving from completely untrained to several months into a correctly designed program to several years into a competitive lifting career, he becomes quite literally a different organism, having caused his body to adapt to a long series of accumulated and increasingly difficult stresses. A point is eventually reached where any adaptation at all is a hard-fought battle. This is where the lifter has closely approached the limits of his physical potential, dictated by genetic and environmental factors largely beyond his control. This is a commonly observed phenomenon, and is called the principle of diminishing returns, where the first phases of a process are simple and inexpensive and painless, 
And the last phases of the process are complicated, costly, and difficult. The trend through the middle is as you might expect. Try approaching, for example, the speed of light sometime. Training's no different. At first, progress comes fast, easy, and cheap, if you do it correctly. The most common way to screw this up is to try to start at the end, where things are already complex by necessity. They're costly because they have to cost more because they're hard and they're difficult. How many novices, for example, carry this month's copy of Flex magazine to the gym and do Mr. Olympia's pre-contest program? The magazine having failed to mention that this doesn't actually work. The fact is that the novice, intermediate, advanced continuum is quite real. And intelligently designed programs fit the trainee's level of adaptation to the intensity, volume, and complexity of exercise. Novices, having no history of adaptation to exercise, can get big and strong very quickly, while advanced trainees, having already gotten big and strong, get more bigger and more stronger very slowly. Now, which to you of these things sounds like the most fun? Which sounds like the progress you'd rather make? Attempting to do a program that doesn't fit your potential to improve is an excellent way to stay right where you are now. The primary characteristic of effective novice training programs is that they are very simple. Look upon this as a blessing. The later phases of training are most assuredly not simple. So take it while you can get it. The variables of training, exercise selection, workout frequency, volume, and intensity, are all as uncomplicated as they can be made to be. Exercise selection is the most objectionable feature of the correctly designed novice program for most people because there are only about seven exercises you need to do for several months, and this seems to piss everybody off pretty bad. After all, why do we know all these exercises, and why do we have all these machines in the gym if we're not going to use the damn things? In keeping with our pledge to simplicity, we are going to squat, bench press, deadlift, press, power clean, and chins. And that's really about all. Since you're going to do some barbell curls, even if I tell you you won't need them, let's just go ahead and count them too. But that's really all you need to do. The variable we manipulate for effective barbell training is not the number of exercises. It's the load. Increasing your strength by increasing the load is what makes you strong. And the process of getting strong enough to need to grow is what makes you big. Doing the same load in more different and varied ways doesn't make you change at all. As you may have already noticed, the basic exercises work the entire body under a constantly increasing load, and combined the way I'll show you, they produce a stress on the whole system, not just its constituent parts. 
programs that use 12 to 15 different single joint isolation exercises never work for novices. And you may have also noticed that. Because single joint exercises do not load the whole system in the way the squat, press, and deadlift do. They fail to elicit a sufficient hormonal response to cause the system-wide change that getting big and strong requires. They also do not involve normal human movements like squatting down, picking things up, shoving things up over your head, pushing things away from you. So they don't use the body in the ways it normally functions when it transmits force to the external environment. Training frequency for an effective novice program is based on the rate at which a novice recovers from a workout. A novice is, by definition, not very strong relative to his ultimate potential. So he's not really capable of inflicting enough training stress in any sane workout to prevent his recovery in a short period of time. This time frame is, conveniently, for us, 48 to 72 hours, making a three-day-a-week program just about perfect for the novice trainee. Monday, Wednesday, Friday is a traditional way to approach this, but suit your own schedule. More frequency has proven to be too much training and not enough recovery, while less frequency is not enough to make the best use of your potential to get big and strong as fast as possible. The idea is to train, rest 48 hours, train again, rest 48 hours, and train again, this time resting 72 hours, so that any residual lack of recovery is dealt with during the extra day's rest. The only room for argument here is what constitutes a sane workout in terms of volume and intensity. Thankfully, I happen to know this. I've been doing this for about 40 years, and over that period of time, I've taught many thousands of people how to do these lifts. I've watched many people, many hundreds of them, actually, do the program I gave them. There are various forms of this program in print, but they are all basically the same. It is simple, short, and composed entirely of basic barbell and multi-joint exercises. The one that I'll present here alternates two workouts. We call them workout A and B every other training day. So that one week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, is A, B, A, and the next week is B, A, B. Workout A is the squat done for three sets of five reps across, which means the same weight done for multiple sets. Always after the warm-up, of course. The press for three sets of five across, and the deadlift for one heavy set of five. And then three sets of chin-ups to failure, each set with five minutes rest between the sets. The deadlift uses only one heavy set, one. Not three, one. Really, sets across deadlifts do not work for people in this demographic because for the deadlift, more is not better. Trust me on this. Workout B is squat three sets of five across again, 
bench press three sets of five across, and power clean five sets of three across. Cleans are not hard to recover from like deadlifts, and triples are done instead of fives so that accumulating fatigue does not interfere with good technique. Power cleans are in the program because they help the deadlift. They develop your power for sports and let you practice the explosive movements that get better as you get stronger. And if you're going to be a lifter, the weight of tradition compels you to learn the movement. Rows are not a substitute, and power cleans are just not that hard to learn, so make up your mind to learn them even if you think it will be hard. You need to just get used to doing hard stuff anyway, don't you? It's good for the soul. And if you decide that you just have to do barbell curls, do them on day B. Heavy, for three sets of ten. But I'd rather you wait at least a couple of months, if you possibly can, because your arms will grow a lot from the chins and deadlifts without doing a single curl, and they may interfere with your recovery. Here is the most important concept. Every time you train, every single workout, until this is no longer possible, you go up in weight on every exercise. The first time you do the exercises, start with an empty bar, doing sets of five, and go up in small jumps, 10, 15 pounds per jump. When you reach a weight that feels heavy for that exercise, but not so heavy that your form has changed, stay there and do two more sets of five. The next workout, go up to a weight that is a little heavier than your previous work sets done on the first day. As a general rule, the smaller the muscle groups that limit the exercise, the smaller the jumps in weight between workouts. Squats tend to jump 10 pounds between workouts for the first two weeks, and then 5 pounds per workout after that. Presses and bench presses jump 5 pounds at first, and then very quickly slow to 2 to 3 pound jumps, perhaps even 1.5 pound jumps making small plates necessary equipment for the logical novice. Deadlifts start out stronger than squats, sometimes much stronger due to the higher start position and the shorter range of motion, and they tend to get stronger faster, especially at first, so that 15-pound jumps can be used on deadlifts. Deadlifts are done every other workout, so they are done with half the frequency of the squat which causes the squat to eventually catch up with the deadlift, but it'll be quite a while before that happens. Power cleans respond like the bench and the press. So use five pound jumps at first and be prepared to take smaller jumps than that. Remember, do only the basic exercises for the first few months and go up on every exercise, every workout for as long as you can. At the same time, be sure that you're not getting greedy with too much weight because you will get stuck this way. If you get stuck, you'll have to get unstuck in order to make more progress, and it's far better to make slow, steady increases in all your lifts for many months than it is to make fast, unsustainable increases for a few weeks. Just do the math and you'll see the point to this. 
there will be plenty of time later for more exercises and more elaborate programming. But as long as simple works, complex is neither necessary nor desirable. Since recovery is the key, you'll have to eat and sleep. Most people who do this program wrong don't eat and sleep enough. And again, by most, I mean the vast, overwhelming majority, like 95%. This period of growth cannot occur unless you create both the stress of heavy progressive barbell training and an environment in which recovery can take place. This will require enough calories, protein, and essential nutrients to take care of your basal metabolic requirements, the caloric demands of your daily activities, including your training, and the caloric requirements of the construction of the new tissues you plan on growing. Sleep is when your hormones respond to the stress of training by getting released and working their repair shift. Six hours is not enough, and eight may not be enough either. The caloric and protein requirements of growth remain an underappreciated factor and may constitute 1,500 to 2,000 calories over the other two components of your metabolic baseline. This very well may add up to 6,000 calories a day. I have found that for severely underweight young men, a gallon of whole milk per day fits the program quite nicely. It is convenient. It doesn't need any cooking. It's available essentially everywhere in the developed world, and it works better than anything else I have ever seen used. But like anything else that works well, that most people won't do, it's hard. It's hard to eat this much, and it's certainly hard to drink this much milk. Not every trainee needs to drink a gallon of milk a day. Now, since this is such an interesting thing to misconstrue, let me say this again. Not every trainee needs to drink a gallon of milk a day. Older guys or guys already carrying a higher body fat percentage will probably not want that many extra calories. A whey protein supplement and some vitamins might be sufficient for the needs of guys like this. But the average 18-year-old, 5-foot-11 kid weighing 155 pounds will respond better to this training program, four good meals a day, and a gallon of milk every day than he will to any other program I know of. Yes, better than steroids. How much better? How about 35 to 50 pounds of body weight in three to four months, 60% of which is muscle. How about more than doubling your squat and deadlift? You will be accused of taking steroids if you do this program correctly, I promise. The general public just does not know. The catch is this. You have to be willing to get big at the expense of visible abs because they will fade. But you have to realize also that rapid lean body mass growth is always accompanied by a body fat increase, always. 
And you have to understand that a man always looks better and performs better at 5'11", weighing 205 than 155. This may be more than you can accept, and I understand why. Boys, modern physique culture is focused on visible abs and low body fat, and you just may not be able to wrap your mind around the concept of the process by which a big, advanced man is built. Or you may be spending an inordinate amount of time with your shirt off. Listen to reason here, okay? Fat comes off much easier than muscle goes on. And I'll bet you already know how to diet your body fat down when this becomes necessary later. But getting really big and strong is something that most guys just never accomplish because they can't get away from the idea that abs come back. So this is the key to taking advantage of being a novice. Your body can quickly adapt if you ask it to. Give it a reason to need to be bigger by training a little heavier each time. And give it the ability to grow by providing it the means to recover. Do so and you will get big and strong very quickly. Fail to take advantage of this and you'll just be another frustrated gym member.